All right, good morning, church. You can go ahead and come back to your seats with your coffee and whatever else you might have. One last kid. I don't know what you brought today, but you can go ahead and come back. Grab your seats. Today we will be continuing our series in Mark. This is our third week back in this series after discussing silence and solitude. Uh, Last week, Tyler spoke about the calling of four disciples. Early in Jesus' ministry, he showed, and this is what we talked about last week, he showed that he could use very ordinary people, like fishermen, Tyler liked to emphasize that last week, like fishermen to do extraordinary things. Today, we get to see how the ordinary person is capable of doing these extraordinary things. And this week, we are changing the scene. Jesus is going to go from the center of, or from the seashore to the center of teaching of that day, the synagogue. To go from the seashore to the synagogue shows that Jesus is not intimidated at all by anybody because he's going from the outcast of the society to the educated. We have to remember as we read the story that Jesus is approachable to all. He's not intimidated, he's not scared, he's willing to approach anybody. And in this story he isn't going along, he's bringing his four new disciples and they're brand new to him. So this is funny because he's going to the synagogue, this place of teaching, and he's bringing these four just brand new disciples. They really don't know what they're getting into. They don't know what their life is about to contain. And they are walking into the synagogue. Four fishermen and a God walking into a synagogue. It's probably a start of a terrible joke, so I'm not going to try. But anyways, it is in the synagogue that Jesus starts his teaching. He starts to teach The synagogue was the place of teaching. People would go to hear scribes argue and teach about God. Jesus shows up, and he does this independently. Independently from anything that the other teachers of that day relied on, and he began to teach. So with that, I want us to go to Mark 1. We'll be in Mark 1, 21 through 28, and we're going to begin reading there. It says this, and they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And that man cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of the man. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. After reading this passage, there's two questions I feel like I just want to answer. First, what is this new teaching with authority? You have to notice in this passage that the word authority is used twice to represent Jesus' teaching. So that's the first question. What is this new teaching? Secondly, (laughs) and this is the more fun one to me, what was this old teaching about God that was so powerless 
that a demon was able to sit comfortably in the room and listen to it? Two questions. I believe the answers to these two questions will give us insight just into how Jesus' teaching fulfills one of our deepest longings. So with that, I just want to ask that you will pray with me. Dear Lord, just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here today. Just want to pray for so many in our church who are sick right now and just uh, heal them quickly. God, bring them back to us safely. Just want to pray as we look into this word and just uh, this story, God, it's so interesting just how this demon can sit in this teaching and be comfortable. Just pray that we just evaluate what we learn, what we take in every week. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, I want to look at this new teaching. I want us to notice several things about it. One of the first things to notice is that people noticed it. The people in the synagogue noticed it. These people came to the synagogue weekly. They received teaching every week. They had heard a lot of arguments and a lot of teachings, and they had experienced several different types of teachers. Yet this new teaching that Jesus brought, this new teaching with authority comes, and they notice it immediately. Jesus didn't have to spend weeks of building up his following to get noticed. His teaching got that recognition in itself. Immediately. Notice how many times the word immediately is used. The second thing to notice in this story is Jesus didn't quote the authorities. He didn't need the authorities because he was, he spoke as the supreme authority. These people realized very quickly that Jesus had authority over their truth. There was something in them that was broken and Jesus was offering a teaching that could provide healing for their soul. And I just wonder how many of these people wanted healing? How many of these people stepped into the synagogue week after week after week and didn't gain any of that healing from these scribes' teaching? These scribes offered nothing transformative to these people, and they noticed it in Jesus' teaching. The third thing to notice is that Jesus taught. He taught before he performed miracles. He became known for his teaching before he became known for his miracles in the city. He shows the people of the day that true healing is always supported by his word and by his teaching. And for us Christians, it just means this. Any healing, any teaching, any worship that is not prefaced, that's not supported with that what, that Jesus taught should just be avoided. We should really question that. Everything that we should be, experience here in church should be backed up by Jesus' teaching. The fourth thing to notice is that his fame spread, Jesus' fame spread because of this teaching. There was an awakening in this moment. There was a new way of living that produced something that everybody was looking for. And these people were just astonished. They were awestruck. And this wasn't for them the same as repenting and believing in that moment. It's just in that moment they recognized that there was a teaching that they could learn from, that they could gain from, that they could gain healing from. And they were awestruck. Final thing to notice about this teaching is that the spiritual realm noticed. This means Jesus has authority over your spirituality. The old basic teaching provided by the scribes allowed demons to hide in the dark. 
like I think of any Western movie, okay, where uh, there's just like this bar and the bandits just sitting in the corner of the room, just like not, nobody worried about the bandit, nobody wanted to approach the bandits, and the bandit is just comfortable. But in this story, Jesus, like we're to walk in, he walks in with his teaching, okay, and this demon just starts to, I don't know, he starts to shake, he's starting to get uncomfortable. You have to notice in this story, it is the teaching that draws the demons out, not the physical human appearance of Jesus. The demon recognizes that he is in danger when Jesus' authoritative teaching enters the synagogue. Jesus didn't just look like the typical blue-eyed, I don't know, muscular guy with a man bun that we might see in paintings. No, he was very ordinary. If his teaching with authority was going to be good news to the ordinary, he had to look so very ordinary. And the result is the demons didn't first identify him by his looks. They first identified him by his teaching. And as we read in Mark, it will be interesting to see that after this day, after this moment in the synagogue, demons recognize him by his looks. It's like this is the moment that they identify him, and after this, they're able to recognize him by his looks. In fact, we'll read later in Mark 7, there's a moment where uh, a demon sees him, recognizes Jesus, and he just flees on the spot. <laughs> he sees Jesus. He knows that Jesus is going to come with his teaching, with his authority, and the demon just up and leaves. They became terrified. These demons, the darkness, the spiritual realm of darkness became terrified of Jesus' teaching. Like this would just be a very anti-climatic exorcist movie, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm the person who avoids Netflix around Halloween. Anybody else? And it's simply for this reason. It's not that I hate the movies. I hate the trailers. You know what I mean? On Netflix, you get automated trailers. And it's the worst because you never know what you're going to get. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I sat down and we we're going to watch a very nice, kind movie. And this trailer came on and within the first five seconds, I jumped. Like seriously. Sarah was there, she would love to tell you about it because she didn't jump. But I jumped, like, I just hate anything horror. But what's funny about this story in Mark 7 when uh, Jesus is seen and the demon flees, it lasts like seconds. Like, if they were to make a movie about this, it would be the trailer. It would happen so quick. And that's in Mark 7. But in Mark 1, we have to notice that it is Jesus' teaching that draws out this demon. In that day, and even today, we have to identify Jesus by his teaching. So that's the new teaching. That's the authoritative teaching that Jesus brought into the synagogue. So with that, I want to ask, what was the old teaching? <laughs> what was this teaching that the scribes had that had no power? How do we know that that kind of teaching isn't the kind of teaching that we experience today? The first thing that you have to understand just contextually about the scribes is that they taught in a very religious and educated system. The scribes would have been like the PhDs of their day. They would have been very smart. They would have been very educated. So just imagine dropping just a very average person on the streets of Muldoon right into classes of heated debate in Dallas Theological Seminary. That's the kind of teaching that the people could get. <laughs> 
I don't know if you would personally want that. I don't know. You might enjoy the heated, argumented debate of that. But for most people, that's not enough. Most of us are looking for healing. And unfortunately, that's what these people had. It's the option they had if they wanted teaching. The scribes taught in a very traditional and systematic way. They would like to constantly argue with the scribes. So there's really two things you need to know. First, they, they argued against scribes specifically. They did this by naming the scribe that they were going against. So naming the scribe, like saying the name of the person they were attacking or supporting was very important. And secondly, they were stuck to tradition. When they referenced or named another scribe, they did this to support or attack. They would specifically use that person's name as a way to give credit or to attack that person. They would say phrases like, so-and-so, let's just say Bob. Bob supports this. This is why Bob is wrong. And they would use other phrases like, Fred supports this, and this is why I support Fred. Okay, I don't know why I chose Bob and Fred, but I did. But that's what they would do. They would use the actual names of the scribes that they were supporting or attacking. Ultimately, the scribes, and this is what you got to get, this is why they did this. They were ultimately into building a platform for themselves or for other well-known scribes that they supported. It was about making people, usually themselves, famous. And then by being stuck to tradition, these scribes eliminated the possibility of change. We ultimately see this in Jesus' ministry. Jesus came, he offered teaching that could produce change and produce healing, and these scribes attacked, they battled Jesus. And with teaching like this, there are several things that begin to happen. First, we create our own walls. We create our own walls. This means that just in our minds, there are structures and roadblocks that develop that can't be approached. We become approachable. We stand so firmly on our beliefs and our way of doing things that we forget that Jesus is constantly working on us. If he's working on us, that means that there are things in us that we need to let go of and that we need to change. And instead of finding an open heart, Jesus finds a wall built up by our egos and by our tradition. These walls that we create become strongholds for our idols. In fact, they might very much become our idols. Second, as we see in the story Demons get comfortable in this kind of teaching. Darkness settles. You know how culture-shaking it was for the scribes. <laughs> They're sitting there teaching. Jesus shows up and he teaches. And then this evil spirit shows up. Notice this is on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. It is the most holy moment of the week for these scribes. And there's a demon just sitting there comfortably. I can't imagine, like, the dialogue these scribes had. Like, was this because of your teaching? I don't know. He's your cousin. Why is he here? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what was going on in their minds. But I imagine there was a lot of name, naming going on in this moment. One of the funniest things to me about this story is the demon's attack. <laughs> it was so small. It didn't even phase Jesus. In fact, look at what he does. I know who you are. Jesus of Nazareth. Here the demon, 
is literally attacking Jesus the same way that the scribes would attack each other. The demon name calls, name drops. The de- this demon says Jesus' name. As I said, the scribes would declare the name of the person they were supporting or attacking. This demon was declaring an attack on Jesus. Notice this demon was using the same ritual as the scribes. By declaring Jesus' name, he is declaring an attack. And it's so interesting because he uses the word us. For this demon, this wasn't just a solo attack. This just wasn't him against Jesus. Since he says us, this was an attack on Jesus from the whole entire demonic kingdom. They were all attacking. This demon thought that if it could unveil Jesus' identity, it could potentially defeat him. That's how they attacked and debated in that time. This demon felt safe. This is the key point. This demon felt safe until Jesus' teaching entered the room. So it declared an attack. Third, in this kind of teaching, people become the enemy. With this kind of teaching, people become the enemy. Since the rhetoric involved the naming of people and attacking others' beliefs, it was inevitable. <laughs> it would cause disputes. It would cause arguments. Today this happens when we eliminate the possibility of having relationships with fellow brothers or sisters in Christ because they believe slightly differently than we do, or because they support a ministry that we do not support, or just simply because they do something differently than what we would do. The critiquing of this starts with innocent conversations that we might have in life group or Sunday lunch, where the motivation behind the whole entire conversation is we're going to fix this issue. But really, we're just adding to the issue. It then becomes an ongoing conversation that never finds any resolution. It ends with walls being built up. We might be able to look that person that we argue with, that we name drop. We might be able to look them in the face on Sunday morning and say, good morning. But that is it. That is where the relationship with that person ends. And we miss out on the deepness of them being able to be a brother or sister in Christ. And unfortunately, the greatest example of this is this is exactly what happens to Jesus. If people can become the enemy in this kind of teaching, Jesus can also become the enemy in this kind of teaching. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus becomes the enemy. The most giving Just think about this, the most giving, the most loving, the most helpful, the most caring person to ever live was put on a cross as the enemy of mankind because of poor teaching. I just believe one of the greatest phrases that we can adopt when relating to other Christians that might believe differently than us is, I am not your enemy. Guys, in this room, looking across the room, there might be somebody in here you have tension with. You just think about saying this phrase, I am not your enemy. Paul teaches us about this in Ephesians. One of my favorite verses to support this is Ephesians 6, 12. It says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against mankind but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what's so sad is in this moment, in the synagogue, there was a very evil spirit just sitting comfortably. And instead of the evil spirit being attacked, the the evil spirit just sat there and watched as believers would attack each other comfortably. And I just want you to think in a room like this, (laughs) where do we have situations like this? Where do we have enemies? There are several of us who might look to another person in this room, maybe somebody who's not here. I just believe it's between you and them. It's between you and the Holy Spirit to determine what should be done in that situation. In every relationship we have, we either build walls or we build bridges. And hopefully in a church like this where we support and love covenant membership so much, where we love being together so much, where life groups are so important, hopefully we can find resolution and hopefully we can become a church with no enemies. Well, at least where people are not enemies. The fourth thing we experience is there's no change or transformation. I just believe these scribes had taught these people into spiritual deadness If we get caught in a setting with traditions as idols, we can get to the place where we do not transform. We stop believing that we can. We stop believing that we can spiritually, emotionally, physically heal. We develop a just deal with it mentality. The old teaching was so surprised. The teaching of the scribes was so surprised when the new teaching actually influenced and changed their environment. So many believers hide, (laughs) just hide under the weightless impact of weak messages. These messages just being forged by idolized tradition that don't offer any transformation in our lives. The result of this is we get entire churches, we get Christians who hate change. If we get stuck in this, we ultimately become slaves of our own desires and our idols. And here's the good news. (laughs) Jesus battles this way of teaching. He battles it. He, He battles the scribes and the demons. He battles the idols in our hearts. Look at what Jesus actually says in response to this demon. Be silent. It's a command. And it's not just any command, it's the same, this is funny, it's the same exact command that he uses to silence the wind, silence the winds and the storms in Mark 4. You can look at the Greek, it's the same exact wording. Jesus didn't need any ritual, he didn't need any specific saying, he didn't need any specific Greek word. He just said, be silent with his authority. And the demon was silent. He would look and he just says, my people deserve to know the truth. My people need to serve true authority and this demon has no authority here. And we also see Jesus battle the way the scribes taught. Uh, I mentioned two ways earlier, they would name. They would name the person they were supporting or attacking and they were stuck to tradition. So the first way we see the battles, or sorry, the first way we see Jesus battle the scribes was by the way they would debate against each other. Instead of saying people's names, instead of quoting other scribes or other authorities, Jesus would say over and over 
again in his teachings, truly, truly, what? Somebody help me. Truly, truly, I say to you. I hope you catch this. Anytime he says that phrase, he is straight up battling the scribes in the way they would teach. He's saying, I have the authority. I don't need, I don't need other well-known scribes to support me. I am the authority. And these scribes wanted him to quote somebody. We see them do this over and over again. They're like, whose teaching does this come from? And he's just like, mine. It's like, I am authority. So, Jesus is the supreme authority. He quotes himself over and over again. He quotes the Old Testament. And we get to benefit in teaching his teachings today. The second way he battles them, he, he battles their way of tradition. Uh, in Mark 7, 9, he specifically says this, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. In other words, you have a fine way of ignoring God's word to support your tradition. And later in Matthew 23, it's a very popular passage uh, with the woes that he gives to the scribes and the Pharisees. He just he attacks their way of teaching. You can reference that if you want to. Jesus battled. He didn't just let this kind of teaching rest and get comfortable. No, he battles it every day that he's on earth. And my friends, if we are just stuck, if we are stuck battling brothers and sisters in Christ, or if we are stuck in tradition, I just believe we are missing the mark we are to love and know Jesus and all people. We are not to be people or things that look just like Christians that lack love. And that's what these scribes were. They tried to teach Jesus, but they couldn't. They lacked having anything in their hearts. This quote from Augustine really captures the intensity of this passage. He says this, Faith is mighty. But without love, it profits nothing. The devils confessed Christ, but lacking charity, it availed nothing. The devils we see in the Gospels, they know who Jesus is, but they lacked any faith in him or his teachings. The demons said, what have we to do with you? They confessed a sort of faith, but without love. Hence, they were devils. And this quote just got me. Do not boast of that faith that puts you on the same level with the devils. Do not boast of that faith that puts you on the same level with the devils. Today, we really just need to check our motives, what drives us. A par parallel passage that captures many of these same concepts you can find in Acts 19. Uh, in this passage, the seven sons of Sceva approach a man with evil spirits uh, these seven brothers were just out on the hunt. They were looking for spirits that they could attack, that they could, uh, you know, perform. What's the word I'm looking for? They could cast the demon out. That's what they were looking for. They were on the hunt. And it's so funny because they say this, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That's what they say to the spirit. And the spirit responds to them saying, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about. Notice that the Spirit mentions Paul. I command you, I'm sorry, but who are you? Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? 
After this, you can read in Acts 19, this spirit attacks the seven sons and they get beat up. (laughs) But it's so interesting. The spirit says, I know Jesus. At this point, they know Jesus. They know about his teaching. But it's so interesting because they also say we know about Paul. Paul was very human, right? He helped start the church. He was a lot like us. This evil spirit knows about Paul because Paul was one who supported Jesus' teaching. These evil spirits, I believe, aren't just scared of Jesus and his teaching. They're scared of anybody who would support, encourage, and teach Jesus' teaching. And it's in this story, as a result, that we find resolution to one of our core human longings. We want to serve I don't know if you know this, we, but you want to serve. Even if you serve yourself, you are serving yourself, and you want to serve yourself. We all want to serve. We want to serve somebody. Yet so many of us serve weak leaders, or we end up serving ourselves because we can't find anybody who we want to serve. But here's what's so cool. As soon as we know Jesus, as soon as we know the identity of Jesus, we find the one that we want and long to serve. In this story, we also learn a key piece of Jesus' identity. He is supreme authority. The word authority is used twice in this story. When he walks onto the scene, darkness flees. When the prideful speak up, he shuts them up. We have found, because of his supreme authority, we have found the one that we have been longing for. We find one who we can trust. We find the only person who can guarantee us victory. And here's what's so cool for us today, this teaching with authority, this authoritative teaching that changed the world. It rests in the palm of our hands, right? His teaching today, we get to carry with us in our Bibles, on our phones, in our memories. So this is what this means, and this is the main point for today. We can serve Jesus with confidence and love under the authority of Jesus' teaching. We can serve with confidence and love. Last week, Tyler talked about how we all serve in different capacities. He, He mentioned pretty much all of us, and he did an excellent job. This week, I hope you see that to do this, if we're going to serve Jesus, we need Jesus' teaching. His teaching is what corrects and what fuels us as we serve him. And I just want you to see an example of this. Peter strived. We all know Peter. He's one of the disciples. He strived to be great. He wanted to be known I think he was very caught up in some of the ways with the scribes of wanting to be seen, wanting to be known, wanting to be known as a good teacher. And he failed majorly. We know the story about Peter denying Jesus three times in Jesus' most, most difficult night. Peter wanted to be known, but in this moment, he denies Jesus, and he does it three times. Later on, Jesus comes back. Right? He, he's resurrected, he comes back to life, and he approaches Peter. And what does he do? He asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't do it just once. He asks three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And he does this 
three times to match Peter's three times. And what we get is Peter, somebody who just wanted to prove that he loved Jesus. What we see in the story and what I believe Peter learned is this is not about my love for Jesus because my love for Jesus fails every day. This is all about Jesus' love for me. And we can see this in Jesus' response. He says, feed, somebody help me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. I just think in this moment of just Peter's fragility, just his love breaking down, Jesus is saying, hey, you do not, the weight of all this is not on you. You can rely on me because these people that you serve, they're my sheep. And what this means for any of us who are so ordinary. My sheep, that's our spouses, that's our kids, that's our ministries, it's our parents. My sheep, those things are not yours, they're mine. And you can serve me in confidence and love because they're my sheep, I'm the true shepherd. And what's scary is the scribes miss this. <laughs> when the people that we serve, when the people that we hope to follow us, when they become ours, whenever it's all about them following us, we lose. The scribes missed it. It's why their teaching lacked all authority. It's why deep demons were welcomed into their teaching. They viewed their people as projects. And as these projects <laughs> didn't change, they became stumbling blocks and enemies to the scribes. Just even for me as the student minister, every day I just have to remind myself these students that I get to serve every week, they're not my ministry, they're his, and I get to serve him as I lead. And this is the reason. <laughs> Anyone that you might serve, they're ultimately his. Jesus so dearly loves them to the point that he was willing to die on the cross. Our Heavenly Father loves his sheep. This is why we long and we want to serve and choose to serve the one who teaches with all authority. So with that, I'm going to pray and we'll go back into worship. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I just want to thank you for bringing us all here today safely. I just want to thank you so much for your authoritative teaching, this teaching that provides us the, the food we need, the teaching that we long for. I just pray as we all go out this week and we serve you, just pray that we rely on this authoritative teaching that you Something give us, God. Please try again. just want to thank you that nothing goes wrong with your teaching, God. Thank you. for what you did for us. In Jesus' name.